podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Does intuitive eating allows us to eat what we want, when we want, with no limitations? Not exactly. Honoring your hunger, making peace with food, respecting your fullness, honoring your feelings without using food, respecting your body, and exercising are some basic principles of intuitive eating. In this episode, Ellen M. Gregg talks about intuitive eating, holistic nutrition, and spirituality. Ellen is a lifelong intuitive who has practiced formally as an intuitive since 2009. Ellen M. Gregg earned a degree in mind-body transformational psychology from Southwest Institute of Healing Arts, which included holistic nutrition, hypnosis, and life coaching certifications. Here was the interview with Alan M. Gregg. In your own words, who is Alan M. Gregg? Wow, what a wonderful question. So Ellen M. Gregg is simultaneously an open book and a mystery. And I see that as when I observe myself, I feel like I see all of me until something new reveals itself or something comes up that I forgot about, something you know deeply rooted. And I see that as absolutely imperative to the work that I do. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. My first question to you is, how do you define spirituality? What is to be spiritual? For me, being spiritual means that we are in touch with our sacred truth. We are in touch with that part of us that cannot be categorized or defined by human measures. Who is God and what is God or where is God? So for me, 
God is everything and everywhere. And for the record, I actually refer to that energy as source or spirit. And my belief around that has certainly grown over the years. I used to subscribe to something more biblical. And just through my own growth, it's evolved to a point where I actually equate God, the God force, with more like the force from Star Wars. Mm, Right. What would you say the main difference is between being a religious person and being a spiritual person? So the first word that came up when you asked that question was dogma. The thing is, I don't want that to be a hard line answer because I don't want to marginalize anyone. It's simply that, again, from my perspective, there is so much dogma tied into religion for the purpose of keeping people in a certain compartment. Whereas the way that I view spirituality is unlimited. Do you know what it's like to be or to live without beliefs? Yes, because for several years, I feel like I was in that vacant space. And I do see it that way. Uh, This visualization comes up and I see my life before, which was quite structured And I just heard strictured, which is interesting. And then there's this vacant space of three or four years where there was a lot going on in my life that was extremely challenging. It felt like I didn't have anything to believe in. And then as I came out of that period, it was this whole new blossoming. Is that really not having a belief or just being open-minded? Because it's pretty hard to navigate without believing something, isn't it? It is. And it was. And that's why I truly see it as almost a void, a vacancy sort of thing. Because truly, I I was not open-minded. I was not in a mode of seeking, of being curious. I, it was, there was a big vacancy sign. Mm -hmm. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life, Ellen? Oh, so far, the hardest lesson I've learned about myself in life is that I am unable to meet everyone's expectations. Makes so much sense. It seems like for all of us, this might be the the hardest lesson to learn. (laughs) Absolutely. And I feel that it could be one of those for everybody. Yes. Right. What is intuition? Ooh. (laughs) So intuition, intuition for me is what comes of us opening to our soul, to our sacredness, to our divinity. Intuition is all of the wisdom of the universe, and I mean that quite literally, that is available to us when we tune into that sacred energy, that soul energy. How do we do that? Tune into that energy. For some people, it appears to be easier than others. In my experience, it involves surrender and it involves trusting in something that we are unable to have concrete evidence of in most cases. And it's one of those things where I, I 
I'm actually seeing the U.S. dollar bill, which on the back says, in God we trust. And yes, we can trust in God because we're perhaps brought up to believe in God in one way or another, and yet we can't, quote unquote, touch God, right? right. So I see it as very similar. What I try to understand better is the difference between intuition and our wishes and desires for things and for ourselves in life, and also our attempt to free ourselves from pain. Wow. Okay. So with intuition, I find that there is an absence of attachment. But what is the motive? Like most of the time, we have a a reason to do that, right? To detach. And that's what I question. Sure. With intuition, the lack of attachment comes from that surrendering, being open to all that's available. And so when you consider desires and wishes, those are coming mostly from the ego. There is sometimes a discrepancy between what the ego desires and wishes and what the soul desires and wishes. Hmm. Oh, Halle, give me, please give me an example of that. So if you think about where you want to live, let's say, and your desire is to live somewhere that has a lot of nature around it. Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) And so the thing is, it could be that that aligns with your soul. And yet at the same time, it may not. In this instance, consider that sometimes what we think is best for us is something that needs to wait because there's something to learn somewhere else first. Mm, Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, we have to be really in tune with yourself, right? Self-knowledge is very important. It is. And and I actually see it very much akin to body wisdom. I see such a parallel between the two. When we're aware of our body and its needs, we don't think about it. We just know it. We feel it. And it's the same thing with intuition. Okay. And... What is the difference between intuition and the the gut feeling that a lot of people talk about? Sometimes it can be the same thing I've discovered because for some people, literally, they have a sensation in their gut that is a reflection of their intuitive knowing. It sounds to me like it's connected to fear because that's where we experience fear, right? Feeling of fear. It can be. And so here is, again, that need to be aware of the difference between the two. Because for some people as well, that feeling, that gut instinct is the ego trying to protect. Yes. And so, and the thing is, I mean, I know for myself, I have a very... physical sensations that corroborate what I'm feeling. So I can tell the difference between my intuitive nudges and my ego nudges. Wow. That t- Does it take practice? That's what it is? Or- well, I would say more awareness. And then, yes, it's like exercising a muscle. The more you 
are the more you're aware and the more you pay attention to it, the more that is exercising it right there. Okay, so it's the practice of awareness, of being aware. Yes. How did you become an intuitive or um, is that the same as intuitive empath? So I am an empath as well. So in this instance, yes, not everyone's an empath. Not all intuitives are an empath, although I would say the majority probably are because that degree of sensation helps a lot with intuitive knowing. So how did I become an intuitive? Well, (laughs) Well, how did you find out you were one? (laughs) I knew from a very young age, actually. I knew from a very young age. However, I did not have anyone around me that I knew of who I could go to and talk about the things I felt, the things I heard, the things I saw. And because of that, I actively shut it down. I made a choice and slammed the door because it was overwhelming. What were the signs? The signs at that time? Yeah. I had a lot of premonitions. And the thing is, they were premonitions that they always happened. And that became, even if it was something that was seemingly innocuous, like it it just, you know, no big deal, it still freaked me out. It really did because I wondered how I could know that was going to happen before it happened and, you know, what was going on. It was disruptive and it was disturbing. Have you read anything or even tried to understand this phenomenon from a scientific point of view? I've read a couple of books. For the most part, the science behind it... it, Okay, so what I'm going to say is that there definitely is some science behind it because the military has some programming where they have a certain section of troops who are actively working on using intuitive skills to gain information. So there is, there has to be something behind it scientifically, I would assume for, I think it's the army to have a program of that nature. That said too, there, I mean, there have been studies done for, for example, with Tyler Henry, who is, he's known as the Hollywood medium on his, one of his recent shows, he actually had a brain scan done while he was doing a mediumship session with someone and his brain chemistry changed. And the thing is, they couldn't explain it because it was as though he was going rapidly, instantaneously in and out of the dream state. Yes. The thing is, he was talking, eyes open, talking the whole time. So yeah, it's and I love that. And at the same time, I don't hinge myself on it because if I was looking for that sort of external validation, I would never do this work. (laughs) True. So true. I love that. Yeah, that you just accept the gift. What is the difference between being an empath and being compassionate? 
Wow, what that is such an amazing question. So I think by nature, uh, empaths have to be compassionate. And I say that in the sense that because of the level of feeling that they have, um, it's almost as though it isn't possible to have those empathic tendencies and not have some level of compassion. At the same time, I can definitely see where, let's, for example, example, someone who is highly empathic and has no direction around it, doesn't have anyone to support them in it, I can see where compassion may be outside of that equation for them. I try to kind of differentiate them. They might be the same thing, but maybe just learning how to understand the other because you understand yourself. And... um, sort of trying to help them without emotional attachment because that could disable us because it have happened to me absorbing too much of somebody else's fear or energies. Um, so let me go to my next question that is about uh, intuitive eating. What is that? So intuitive eating is using your intuitive awareness to choose the food you eat. So for example, when I'm breaking my fast each day, I stand in the kitchen and I tune in asking my body what it needs. And I'm open to whatever that may be. I mean, for the most part, it's stuff that would be considered healthy. So salads and things like that typically is what I break my fast with. Sometimes I'm drawn to stuff that, you know, I question like bagel and peanut butter. I'm like, (laughs) oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Same time, you know. If it's, if that is the nudge that I'm getting, I pay attention to it because that's telling me that there's something, there's some, there's some quality in that food that my body needs at that time. That is so interesting. I never thought it. I never heard of this before, actually. Um, so, what about if the body, or the mind, is asking you to eat something that it's not available at that moment in your kitchen? Then I go to Plan B. And it's one of those things I will say that typically it's really interesting because it's rare that I will feel compelled to have something that is not accessible. Um, So in a way, it's almost like the mind already knows, right? What's available and trying to just find out what it needs at that specific moment. Yes. It's almost like having a radar signal go off. So the radar goes out and it's like scanning, scanning, scanning. And then it like brings the different attributes together and says, here you go. Um, what about those who eat with the habit of eating the same breakfast? Super healthy. Like I have my own breakfast every single day. My fiance is like, I can't believe you eat the same thing every single day. I know. And I will say that I have a tendency to be one of those people. Like during the winter, my go-to is oatmeal. Yeah, I love that. I mean, too, and it's good for you and that's great. And the thing is, at the same time, I will check in. Um, Even though during the winter, I'm looking, I'm always seeking, what can I put in my body that's going to warm me up? (laughs) I'm still open to the fact that there might be an alternative or it might be that the base is oatmeal The question is, what's being added to the oatmeal today? So you're talking about seasonal eating, like according to the seasons, right? That too, there's a wisdom in that, of course. 
Yeah, the body will tell me the things that it's, it's supposed to be eating. And I, I wait to feel to have to get that signal. Yeah, I, truly, I don't see anything wrong with that because if you check yourself, like if you were to like just take a moment and as you're ready to have your breakfast or make your breakfast, consider what you would normally have and then consider an option, you know, an, an alternative option and notice how you feel about the two of those things. This is one of those things too where I would actually use my physical intuitive signals, my, my mm-hmm. physical intuitive yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to help you with that. Right. That sounds so, uh, I mean, it's fascinating to just let, like we were talking about surrendering, just letting the, the body and the soul to do its work, to just uh, guide us. It is. And it, I will say it has its share of challenges and the challenges come because of our human conditioning. Yes. Right. We're, we're told that certain things are best for us. Certain things work a certain way. And when we receive information through intuition that advises or suggests something that is in contrast to that, that's, you know, the ego saying, hey, aren't, you know, is that safe? Is that safe for us? <laughs> That's such a, it's a practice for a lifetime, isn't it, Helen? It is. And it's always evolving. And I think that's the thing too. And that's, and talk about compassion. Self-compassion is key to all of that. Self-acceptance, yeah. Why do you fast? It's something that I didn't plan to do. It was something that evolved over time. I found it came to a point where I was a fasting probably 16, 15 to 16 hours a day without even thinking about it. It just sort of happened. And then I realized that I was feeling better, like stopping eating before or at the latest by seven o'clock in the evening. I felt so much better going to bed and paid attention to that. And then it evolved from there. So I've actually reached a point where my fasting is 20 hours of fasting with a four-hour eating window, which honestly, I never... If someone had asked me two months ago if this is what my eating would look like, I would have said, uh, no. (laughs) How many meals a day do you you have? Two. Mm, Right. I have my quote-unquote breakfast, which happens about three o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) That's when I break the fast. And it's something on the small side. So for example, this afternoon, I had a small bowl of potato salad. And and that was plenty, completely plenty for me. And then I'll have probably salad and I don't know what else, hummus, something else for supper. And I always finish with a smoothie and I'm done. Oh, wow. Are you a vegetarian or a vegan? At this point, I can't say that I'm a vegan. I have been for a long time, mostly on, sometimes off. At this point, because of nutritional needs, I do have an egg a couple of times a week. Other than that, vegan other than that. Do you know when you are uh, deficient? Um, vitamins. Yeah, I can feel it in my body. And also I, I will say, because I, I do struggle with it because I believe in, in veganism. I think it's so much better for our bodies and the planet. However, I also need to honor the fact that my body has certain needs that right now veganism itself 
doesn't meet. That's the challenges. Some people say that because there's so so much research, right, on that studies on veganism, and some people are able to live to be extremely healthy, um, no problems at all with that. But it might be because of their genetics. It might be, yeah, I don't know. I would agree with that. And the thing is, too, it's one of those things, It's I find it's perhaps seasonal. It wouldn't surprise me at all if as we're getting closer to summer, that I'm no longer needing to have that the eggs twice a week and can be wholly vegan and then be open to the fact that that might have to adjust again come the fall. I come to realize that we eat most of the time based on our emotional needs, right? Or emotional imbalances. We're not paying attention to what the body wants. Like in my case, protein, because I work out and all, but not that much. I know I don't need, the body doesn't ask for that much protein. And that could be as well. There is again, that body wisdom of tuning into the body and asking, what do you really need? And then also paying attention when we are eating. That's one thing I will say, I've struggled with all of my life being aware of my body's hunger signals, like actually knowing when I'm really hungry and then actually also knowing when I'm done, when I'm full. And one thing about intermittent fasting that has really surprised and delighted me is that as if that signal is so it's gotten so strong. So I actually feel hungry by the time I'm ready to eat. I can feel with absolute clarity when I've had enough. It's remarkable because I'm, I'm, I am, I have been most of my life an emotional eater, whether it's a an emotion that's tied to quote unquote, you know, dark emotions like anger and stuff like that, or even joy. Like when I think of joy, I think, oh, a bowl of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> you see? Oh no. So you shouldn't have too much joy then. <laughs> think about how much ice cream we're going to have, right? If we're too joyful. <laughs> it's an interesting thing because it almost feels like I've been taken off the hook, off that emotional hook with food. And then what about sleep? I noticed when I don't sleep well, like my body's completely out of balance and I'm then I have no idea when I'm hungry, when I'm not. I don't pay attention to what I eat. It's just a mess. Yes, yes. And that, I will say, that can be the same for me. And at that point, that's when I go into intuitive autopilot. Because otherwise, I would probably be looking for Oreos and... It seems like the body's out of um, control. Like the wisdom is not on the in on the control seat anymore. There's not a driver anymore. Exactly. And it, it really is truly as if someone else has taken over the wheel, except it's such a different feeling from surrendering to the that intuitive driver. It, there's the, One is much more reckless. Yes, right. You know, and the other is like is much softer and just gently pushes you in the direction that's best for you. Mm, yeah, I like the way you put it. Yeah, it's beautiful. What I go by a lot and really try to practice is sleeping well. Get at least like seven hours, seven to eight hours. Yes. And for me, eight hours is the optimal. Yeah, that that's the foundation really, isn't it, um, Alan, for health? Yeah, that's, yeah, it is. Although we're not talking about only health. I know 
But even for the intuitive driver to be there, right? Fully awake, we need that, that rest. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, I will say, I have very active sleep. And by that, I mean, my, I always dream every night. And a lot of times I remember my dreams. And it always seems as though I am doing something constructive, even if that happens to look like having a conversation with people I haven't had a conversation with in a while. Oh, while you sleep in your dreams? Yes. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about dreams. What do they mean exactly? I think it depends. And for me, my dreams are never just quote unquote dreams. There's always something more to them. So for example, the other morning I woke up from a dream and I was like, what the heck was that? Because I was clearly shown this banner that had a word on it. The thing is, I got so caught up in how pretty the banner was, I didn't see the word. So I was intentionally shown that banner again, and it had one specific word on it. And I woke up with that word and I was like, oh, and then I, you know, I took it from there because it was actually a message for someone. Right. So it carries messages, you say, dreams. Messages. And sometimes I I feel like we can work out our shadow stuff in dreams too. As much as as much as shadow work is, I feel needs to be something that we do very intentionally. I think sometimes there can be bits and pieces that we can work out better in the dream framework because we don't get in the way of the process. True. Yeah. There's no trying to control which way to go. Yeah, we're more like observers. Yeah. What is spiritual awakening? (sighs) Ah, another great. So when I think of a spiritual awakening, I think of people remembering that they are more than a human, that there is more to them than the name they were given, the place they live, the job they do. And it is something that is connected to an energy that is connected to everything and everyone else. So there is an interesting sense of, I want to say, coming home with spiritual awakening because of this remembering that more than and then that connectedness. And also though with it comes the challenge of our human conditioning saying, what the heck do you think you're doing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I think for for the people that I work with and for myself, spiritual awakening also means remembering the intuitive abilities that are available to all of us and actually using them. You talk about home. Um, I know you're not referring to a place where we we will go, but it's a state of mind, a state of being. Can you describe that state of being? Yeah, I will do my best because when I say coming home, I feel like I am going inside of myself and then I feel as though I'm expanding. And it's so peaceful. It's peaceful and at the same time, it is so alive. And I think that's because there's so much information. There's so much available in that state. So many possibilities, right? Yes, yes. Do you think that all of us are on that path of spiritual awakening? I think all of us could be. I think for those who struggle with believing that there's something more than 
this, this meaning our human condition, then it's as if, you know, just putting up a brick wall or something, you know, there's a massive brick wall. For me, this era that we're in is intended for spiritual awakening because it is reminding us that we need to remember that we are all connected, connected to each other, connected to earth, and to actually work together rather than against each other. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, so the key word here, you said we could, all of us could be on that path. For some people in this lifetime, it's not possible for them to come to this understanding of themselves, of life, what it is, because they have some blockages. Um, I always normally, I say the name, I say I named them, um, so to be more clear, uh, like psychopath, for example. So uh, my question is, why are they limited? Why do they come here with such limitation? Hmm. <laughs> This is where we could get into a discussion about karma to a degree. And yet for me, when I look at the situation, I see a soul who actually chose to come here and face that challenge, as I just heard, head on, because it's something that they needed to go through for their own development. And the thing is, I will say, having said that, and I will also say that there was a lot of channeling just happening as I was saying that, um, that I have a big question mark saying, so you're, we're talking, then some person actually decided in their soul form that they were going to incarnate and kill people. And the answer to that is actually no. What they chose to do is come here and face challenges that would force them to make a decision to either choose a path that would heal old wounds, or they would choose a path that would actually exacerbate those wounds. But they can't. They are completely blinded by their own minds. They, they are not able to, to see that. Yes. To make that choice. Yes. And what's interesting about that is I'm going to bring in something that I am called to do on occasion, which is clear out energy, which I call dark energy, like out of space. And sometimes that dark energy has a form. It might actually look like a human form. However, it also looks like it's a human form cast in tar. And so when I need to clear something of that nature, I surround it with light. And then I just watch because what will happen is the light will disintegrate that darkness, that tar. And one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to expose what the person looked like when they were actually in their human form, or it's going to end up that all that darkness is simply going to be dissolved because there was no human form attached to it. And I see it very similar for a psychopath or a sociopath, that when a spirit has that level of darkness attached to them, it's because they have been like a sponge for that dark energy. And I think it's the exact same for a psychopath, that by nature, they may actually be a sponge sponge for darker choices, for choices that are not socially acceptable. And they might also serve as agents of transformation, right? Because people around them might be 
who are ready in this lifetime might change because of them. They are that force. Absolutely. And I totally agree with that. At the same time, there's this part of it that says, oh, no, but then again, that means that they came purposely to be that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because there are people in our world right now that who are highly visible, who are definitely here specifically to be change makers, whether we like it or not. Right. right. Yeah. There's a purpose behind. I mean, I think everything has a purpose. And at first we see as quotes and quotes bad, but there is like a major purpose hidden that we don't know yet, the big picture that we are not able to see. Exactly. Exactly. You talk about ancients and the original witches. Um, I want to know more about that. (laughs) Yeah, that was such an interesting topic to have come up. Really was. Do you have a specific question about that? Who are who are the the ancients and the original witches? What their purposes? Yeah. So the purpose of the ancients are guardians, guardians and observers. The way how the information was brought to me was that the ancients were quote unquote seated here on Earth specifically to act as guardians, stewards, observers of Earth and her path, her evolution or devolution. And witches, on the other hand, although I would say they have certainly similar traits to the ancients, they play a more active role. They're less observers and they're, they're more action-oriented. They're Witches, by their very nature, work with the earth. They work with the earth's cycles. They work with the earth's wisdom. And by wisdom, I mean plants, animals, everything. And by doing that, they are honoring earth. Are they here as uh, incarnated in the physical body or... So the, did you mean the, the ancients? ancients? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I didn't actually ask that. Are there any ancients who are incarnated in a physical body at this time? Yes. They are found in mostly remote areas because they are intended to be guardians and observers as though, if you can imagine, the statues on Easter Island, which are in some ways not easily accessible. Yeah, the way it's being shown to me actually is they are in areas that would be um, almost inaccessible intentionally because it keeps them from getting tied up in our human stuff. Yeah, (laughs) the human stuff. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) There's a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So it keeps them more clear. it makes they're able to be better observers because they are not having their vision clouded by all the strife. What about the witches, uh, the modern ones, the ones who are they embodied? Uh, are they here? Yeah, and the thing is, witches, honestly, witches are you might understand the difference is that the original witches were seated here, they were intentionally put here to bring this wisdom to earth. Then, this is something then was given over to the natural evolution of the human, the natural procreation. And so, those who are witches, sometimes you'll find that they are witches throughout their 
ancestral line. Other times it is that a woman or a man may choose to take on the role of a witch because they wish to work in harmony with the earth. How uh, are they different from shamans? I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Shamans? Yeah, that's in such a good question. So with shamans, we there's very little difference between a shaman and a witch, other than a shaman perhaps works intentionally more with the energetic framework of the human. A witch may not. Okay, it's more connected to earth. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, you're so welcome. That's so much fun. If life had one purpose for us, one purpose only, what would that be? to leave this earth better than the way we found it. Mm. Right. Would they include ourselves? Yes, absolutely. I think actually one goes hand in hand with the other. Makes sense. What is your definition of love? Oh, what a beautiful question. Love is the lack of condition on a relationship. And that includes lack of attachment. It is the purest form of emotion and also action. Uh, what does success mean to you? Oh, what does success mean for me? That might change on a daily basis. I'm not sure. Okay. No, I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's being open. <laughs> It actually may quite honestly be that way. However, in general, Mm -hmm. success means to me that I have walked through my life in the best way I can. The best way you can. What is to be strong? So to be strong is to understand that strength may look like tears, may look like grief. It may look like heroism. Strength is a quality that is attributed to someone who can be holy themselves and express that without reservation. If you knew you would die, meaning you would lose your body soon, would you change or do anything differently? Oh, wow. Yes, I would probably clear my calendar more frequently to make room for relating with friends and family. Yes. Right. Family and friend. Right. That makes sense. Um, Do you think you'll be able to know? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you believe and what kind of life do you believe after death? Um, Wow. So after leaving the human body, I believe that we are restored to our true form, which is light. And within that form, we are better able to connect with everything and everyone. And if you also knew that by becoming light, you would have to forget everything that you ever did, thought, or became in this lifetime. Would you be okay with that? Yes, because I would, I feel that in that state, it would actually be immaterial to remember the life I had just left. What are three things about life you know for sure? (gasps) Okay. (laughs) That's the last one. (laughs) Three things I know for sure about life, that life is indifferent to a person's position. It doesn't care whether they're considered 
low class or high class. It doesn't matter if a person has a college degree or an elementary school education. I know for sure that this life offers anybody who wishes to accept it the opportunity to evolve in a way that no matter what happens to them, they can still find peace within themselves. And I feel that this life offers the opportunity for us to reveal who we are, who we truly are, without reservation. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it immensely. (laughs) Um, Where can we find more information about you, what you do? services, your future projects? You can find all that information on my website, which is ellenmgreg.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ellen M. Gregg, please visit her website, ellenmgregg.com. Ellen, E-L-L-E-N-M-G-R-E-G-G.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.